0: Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. I'm going to do a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 48. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. series for people maybe who hope they hopefully one day plan to date, maybe are dating. It's for those who have dated. It's for high school students, college students, for adults. It's for folks that are serious about romance, some sort of long-term relationship. Here's what I know. I do know that in a talk like this, there are some people that either by their own choice or by no choice of their own find themselves single, maybe you never plan to be married again. And there might be a temptation that, like, I'm going to shut off and not listen through something like this because it might feel like it's not for you. I actually want to challenge you to lean into this conversation, and here's why. Because this is a family conversation. It's a family. We're part of a church family. And romantic relationships, marriage relationships, dating relationships are a critical part of who we are as human beings. Since we're a part of a family, there's going to be times where we'll have conversations, and it might not directly apply to you, but it applies to somebody that you love. Like, there might be a time where we would say, hey, we're going to talk about social media, and there might be people over a certain age bracket that might say, well, what's that got to do with me? But in truth, it applies to a a portion of our family, so we want to lean into that. The other reason is this, is that when you're in Relationship inside of a family, there are times where you're going to have the opportunity to speak truth to other people. Where someone's going to come to you and say, hey, this is this problem that I'm up against. What do I do with this? And it's, it's, this is a, such a confusing, chaotic area of our lives and we want to be able to speak truth and point people in the right direction, not the wrong direction. So we all have skin in this game. Lean into this conversation. One of the reasons that I'm excited about having this conversation is it's an area that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart, probably, probably more than anything that would happen to my immediate family, watching people engage in decision-making for the relationships that ultimately undermines their decisions. It breaks my heart. And there's already so much unavoidable pain in our lives anyway. Why add to that by making decisions that ultimately complicate the relationships that we desire? And isn't it true that many of us have watched friends and family members make terrible relationship decisions and when they're doing that you're kind of watching them and you're going, "Oh my goodness. Don't you see that what you're doing right now, it's not just going to affect you, it's not going to just affect this other person, it's going to affect your kids. It's going to affect your ability to tell a story 5, 10, 15 years in the future." Can't you see that what you're not doing, that what you're doing is not going to work ultimately? And the problem is this. The problem is it's so easy to see in other people, but it's really hard to see in the mirror. Why is that? It's because romance, relationships, lust, it's all a fog. There's a fog around all of that. So we consequently, it's just hard to see bad decisions that we make when we look in the mirror. It's an area of chaos. It's an area of of confusion, and we said that that comes largely because there's some myths that are very common in our culture. We talked about two myths, and as we talk talk about them, as we bring them to the surface, we kind of look at that and we say, man, that's just, that's ridiculous, why would we ever think that? But in truth, it's just as infiltrated the way we think, the way our culture thinks about romantic relationships. The first one that we talked about last week was the right person myth. And it's not so much that, hey, there's only one person out there that would be right for me. I think most of us can comprehend that that's not the case. The right person myth is this, that once you meet the right person, everything will be all right. And all the married people just kind of chuckled last week. Myth goes like this, you know, regardless of what's happened in my past, regardless of what happens between now and when I find that person, once I find that person, everything's going to be all all right. Everything's going to be fine. But it's a myth, right? But it fuels our fantasies. It fuels our fantasies because, let's be honest, what do we fantasize about? We fantasize about finding the right person. None of us lie awake in bed at night staring at the ceiling fantasizing about being the right person. We all fantasize about finding the right person. And it's like, as soon as I meet them, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be a better person. But we know, because we're adults, we know that that's a myth. And the question that we really had to wrestle with is not just am I finding the right person, but am I, coming, am I becoming the right person? Am I becoming the kind of person that I'm looking for is looking for? Am I becoming the, becoming the kind of person that I'm hoping for is hoping for? The second myth that we talked about was The promise myth. That a promise replaces preparation. That a promise replaces the need for preparation so I don't have to prepare for it and that it's just naturally going to happen with minimal or no effort. And you can promise yourself into all that you need, you know, if I just have a a vow and a promise and a party and I gather everyone together and we play some sappy love songs and dance together at the end of all of it, I'm going to be able to be relationally mature and I'm going to be able to have relationally healthy habits that's a myth as well we know that because the promise isn't a substitution for preparation we know this athletes know this you can't promise yourself into the win how do athletes actually secure a win well they have to actually prepare they have to actually practice they actually have to put in the hard work and that's the point to win to win relationally to win in a marriage If you're looking to get dating, if you're looking to find that person to to win relationally, you have to prepare. Because, listen, saying I do does not make you prepared. It doesn't make you capable. It only makes you accountable. And if you're accountable, but you're not capable in the end, you're going to be miserable. If you're accountable, but you're not capable in the end, you're just going to be miserable. And listen, this is why. This is why following Jesus makes all the difference in the world. It doesn't just make your life better. He actually makes you better at life. And here's why. Because Jesus presses into relational principles that are going to help you become more relationally healthy. He was all about relationships. Everything he did was about relationships. And we don't have time to get into this. I'm actually going to spend, hopefully, an entire series on this topic and this concept. This this, this concept is such a huge deal. It explains so much about us. It's so, it explains so much to us about how the world works. That when God created the heavens and the earth, when when, when you look at this beautiful painting that God created, by the way, you don't wonder what... What chance brought this painting about? If I see a beautiful painting, I recognize that there was a painter behind all of that, and God created it, and he looked at the buffalo and the alligator and the the butterfly and the birds and the fish, and and he said they, they all were there according to his kind, and it was so good. The way that God created it was good, but then when he created mankind, mankind was alone. It was just Adam, and for the first time, God said it is not good that they be alone, and so he created Eve. He said, Let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. Listen, from the very beginning, we were created innately to be relational people. Relational with one another. Relational with God. The reason that Jesus came in the first place was so that we could understand the heart and the mind of God. So God would make sense to us. That we could understand him and and have a relationship with him. And it's actually fascinating. When you take a critical look at the gospel accounts, Jesus never once says, hey, I want you to pray to me. He says, I want you to follow me. Follow me. I am the way to the Father. You're going to have a relationship. And he invites us to follow him. I'm telling you, listen, these disciples, these people, they follow Jesus. This invitation to follow and be changed by him. Even before they fully recognized that he was the son of God. They didn't figure that out until afterwards. Afterwards, they were like, oh my gosh, I get it now. But before any of that happened, they decided, I'm going to follow after this guy and learn from him. And when we choose to follow after Jesus, he presents for us one single relational principle that we talked about last week that just makes the biggest difference in all of our relationships. And here's what he left with his first century disciples, and it was so simple. It was so simple, but church people, folks who do what I do for a living, make it way more complicated. And the, and the religious leaders of Jesus' day made it way more complicated. Jesus looks at them and says, this is the heart and the mind of God, and it's so simple. He says, if you forget everything else I tell you, remember this one thing, love one another. And not... Not love one another like you want to be loved. Not love one another like the world would say you should love one another. It's not all like butterflies and just hold hands and talk. No, he says very specifically a different kind of love. Love each other as I have loved you. It was a different kind of love. It's radical love. It was a selfless love. That's what we're talking about in this series. It's the foundation for all that we're talking about. Listen, this, this, if we could could just start to practice code a little bit in our parenting, in our our relationships with our brothers and sisters, in our marriages, it will change the direction and the course of your life. And so many of the scarred relationships we find ourselves in will start to head in a different direction. And that's where we left off last week. That we have to start at this place where we would say, I want to love other people. I want to love this spouse. I want to love the person I'm dating Not as I want to be loved, but I want to love as God loved me in Christ. And that poses a really interesting question. So what does that even look like? How do I do that? Practically, what does that look like for me to live that out on a day-by-day basis? And that's what we're going to look at this week. We're going to look at the fine print. Not the fine print like, aha, I got you, fine print. But the fine print that makes you fine. You remember in high school when you see someone and you say, man, that, that lady, that guy, he, he's fine. He's fine. She is fine. What were you saying? You're saying there's something dignified. Not just hot. Yeah. Not just hot. It's, it's actually more than that, isn't it? Not just attractive. They are refined. There's some quality about them that's more mature. Something more, something deeper yet than just physical attraction. Fine print will make you fine, and it makes you someone worth finding, someone worth keeping. And listen, the things that we're going to talk about today, like we have to get good at this stuff. And if you're dating, if you're thinking about dating someday, students in the room, this is the kind of thing that you actually have to begin preparing for right now. You have to prepare for it right now. You know what everyone else is doing? Preparing, everyone else is preparing to be better in bed, but you're going to prepare to become a better person. Awkward pause there. <laughs> because by the way, listen, this is worth, this is worth the price of admission here today. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. It's not fueled by experience. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. It's not fueled by experience. Think about this. Imagine yourself in the throes of passion with the one and you look at that person and you say, baby, you are one of a million they would stop and they would say don't you mean one in a million nobody wants to be one of a million because when you're one of a million you know what that breeds it breeds insecurity and insecurity is the enemy of true intimacy listen even the healthiest of relationships is hard enough why layer on top of that insecurity Romance in a relationship is fueled by exclusivity, not experience. Not experience. Sex does not make a relationship. Do you know what sex makes? Babies. That's right. No one took notes on that one. Every time they do surveys about sex, you know what they find out? They find out that the most happily married people have the happily ever after kind of sex. Study after study shows that. How do we live out the fine print? Listen, this is what the Apostle Paul steps in and he says, all right, I'm going to hone in to you on the teachings of Christ and I'm going to show you what it looks like to put shoe leather on this. And he makes it make sense to a Gentile world what it means to love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. Now listen, whenever whenever we're in the New Testament, whenever we have the Apostle Paul, James, Peter, These are people, and what they're doing is they're unpacking the teachings of Christ, these imperatives of Christ. It's why before and after they would say, in Christ and through Christ, and the love of Christ compels us. This is what Jesus taught. This is how he loved us. He's giving us real-world application of how to live that out, and this is what the Apostle Paul defines love for us. As we started, page 785 in the Orange Bibles, you're welcome to hang out with us there. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, just keep, keep one. We'd love to give it to you. Seven eighty-five. This is what he says. He says, love is patient. Love is patient. Love is not pushy. If someone is pushing you, they're not loving you. Loving somebody gives them room. Because you don't want to be pushed. You don't want to be rushed. Here's what patience is. Patience is doing life graciously at someone else's pace. Graciously doing life at somebody else's pace pace and listen it's not just an action it's an attitude it's not just what i like what i do it's the attitude that i have as i'm accommodating to you at your pace and i'm going to have a gracious heart when i shop i am a tactical shopper do i need shoes yes or no do they fit me yes or no i'm in i'm out i know the answer to that very very quickly i'm a tactical shopper that's my pace You know whose pace is not that way? The ladies in my life. Their pace is not that way. You know what I've learned after 22 years of marriage, men? Is that when we are picking out clothes, like we have one, maybe two questions to ask. Is this like for work or do I mow the lawn in this? Like that's how complicated our decisions are. When ladies are picking out what they wear, they have a hundred different questions they're asking. Will these match my pants? How dirty are they going to get? Are they cute? Do any of my friends have these kinds of shoes? Will the heel size work with my pants if they're longer or shorter? Do I have shoes that are already like these shoes? Will my friends like these shoes? Why do they take so much longer? It's because they're asking a lot more questions, aren't they? Now, when I go to the woodworking store, my list of questions gets a lot longer. And now, Jen's the tactical one. Do we have the money to afford that or not, right? Like, should we be buying this or not? And I'm asking questions. Where would it fit in my shop? Does something I have already meet this need? Does this give me more capacity? Does this need 110 volts or 220 volts? Like, I'm at, how hot is it going to make the shop? How dirty is it going to have an integrated vacuum with the thing? Like, I'm asking a different stack of questions. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. And listen, love graciously, graciously adapts to the pace of the other person. Love is a decision to pause rather than to push. It's not natural. Do you know what what is natural? Your pace is natural. That's why you think everyone should run and live and do life the way that you do life and the pace that you do it. And you think what on earth is wrong with them, that they're not doing it my way. And that is the cause of so many relational challenges. You know, why, why won't you hang up the coat the way that you want, I, way you want, I, I want you to hang up the coat. Why won't you finish the project right when I need you to finish the project? What's taking you so long at Walmart? That is the course of so many of our relational challenges we go through. And love doesn't expect everybody to keep pace with me. Love says, listen, I'm, I'm going to discover your pace, and I'm going to slow down to that pace. Here's, here's two words that we're going to deal with a lot today, probably next week, and it's this, that love defers. Love defers. Because listen, that is precisely what God did with you. That is precisely how God treated you, what he did for me. God didn't force his pace on us. He did the most extraordinary thing. God accommodated. He adapted. In fact, the best way to understand all of the Old Testament and the New Testament is God actually adapting and accommodating to our capacity. Why? Because he's like a good father. He leans over and he speaks our language at our pace. Language we can understand. Because listen, if we went at his pace, it would be like the speed of light and none of us could understand or know anything about God. God it comes to our capacity and says, Listen, this is what I want you to do with each other. Dads, husbands, wives... Girlfriends, boyfriends, friends, friends, just as I have done for you, I want you to practice accommodating to someone else's capacity. Listen, to to go the distance relationally, here's what we have to recognize, that we're going to actually have to exercise some of our patient's muscle. And the way you do that is by practicing now in the relationships you have now. For those opportunities that are ahead of us. Love is patient. You know what the next one is? It says, love is kind. Now, that's a word that just feels soft and mushy. It feels kind of weak. Like, if you're in high school and you're playing that game and, and you get labeled the nice the nice kid, you're a nice boy. It's like, oh, man, that's like a death sentence. You know, no one wants to be the nice kid. But it, biblically speaking, nice is not the same thing as kind. To be kind is something very different than that. It requires courage, requires sacrifice. Nowhere does God ever say, hey, go and be nice. He does say go and be kind. And the word behind this word kind in the Greek language is the word prestos, and here's what it means it refers to a fine wine. One that is aged, one that has mellowed. One that's lost its acidic edge, it doesn't have a bite in it, a bite to it, it's not abrasive or a blunt, it's smooth, it's like a fine cabernet. It's not being grouchy, it's not having a harsh edge, it's mellow, it's smooth. Listen, especially men, we need to know this: that kindness is actually an expression of strength. Unkindness. Is weakness. It's it's weakness because it's showing that you can't bridle yourself. You can't control your tongue. You can't control yourself. That's why it's weakness. And I just let me quote this definition to see if it's helpful for us. You know what kindness is? Kindness is simply loaning someone else your strength rather than reminding them of of their weakness. It's loaning them your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. It's when, hey, you know, you're not quite tall enough to reach that. I've got a strength. I can reach it. I'm going to do that for you. It's, you know what, your life is kind of falling apart right now, and emotionally you're a mess, and you're not able to make decisions. You're not able to kind of hold up yourself, so here's what I'm going to do. I have that emotional strength right now. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to encourage you. That's kindness. Loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them, man, why do you keep needing me to get that for you? Your life is just a mess right now. What's wrong with you? It doesn't remind them of their weakness. It's doing for others what God has done for us. It's doing for others what people can't in the moment do for themselves. Kindness is love's response to weakness. Paul said this in Romans chapter 5. He said this last week. That when we were still sinners, you know what God didn't do to us? He didn't put his hands on his hips and say, hey, listen, when are you going to get your act together? When you do, go ahead and give me a call, and then I'll finally deal business with you. That's not what he did. When he looked through the portals of history and he saw your broken relationships and your broken vows and the, the screw of your life, when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And he loaned you his strength in the middle of your weakness. That's what we sing about. That's what we celebrate when we come to church. God says, listen, okay, you get all of that from me. You're so grateful for it. Now, listen, I want you to do this for other people. Loan them your strength patiently instead of reminding them of their weakness and where they fall short. So here's a here's question, just to think about this morning. What's your go-to response to weakness? What's your go-to response to weakness in other people? I'm gonna point it out, I'm gonna highlight it, or do you loan them your strength? Listen, if you're dating somebody, if you're thinking about dating somebody, you've got to pay special attention to this. Because if they're pursuing you, you know what, they're on their best behavior, but their response to weakness in other people will eventually be their response to weakness in you. What's your response to weakness? Next up, Paul gives us a toxic trio. This is what he says. Love does not envy. Love is... Uh, it does not boast, love is not proud. Love is not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. In other words, love lets the other person shine. Love is willing to step out of the spotlight when they have a reason to step into the spotlight. And this is so huge, this is so important for us. This is us learning to do for others what God has done for us in Christ. Listen, love is not threatened by other people's success. Love is able to celebrate with other people's successes without having to add in your own story, without reminding them about your success. And this is where maybe some of us might need to lean into this. We might have some room to work on this. Because if you don't feel good about yourself, it's really hard to let other people feel good about themselves. is important. And if there's something that's inside of you that has has a hard time allowing someone else to step in the spotlight without saying, well, you know, when I was back in college and when I played ball, you kind of Uncle Rico it, right? If, if there's something in you that, that, that doesn't let someone that you supposedly love step into the spotlight alone, maybe you have something that you need to work on. And that's an insecurity for you, and it ultimately is going to undermine your relationships. Think about this for just a moment. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't step into the restaurant and play the God card. Hey, I know someone's in the corner booth, but you know I'm here. And I'm a big deal. Kick them out. Here my disciples. That's not what he did. He never once did that. When he had every right, when he earned it, he never insisted upon it. He says, this is what I want you to do for other people as well. Do exactly that. I want you to forego your own privilege. I want you to forego the credit that you deserve and maybe the, even the opportunities for you to step into the light in order to highlight what someone else has done. Do you do that? Do you do that? Or is there something in you that just says, you know, I've got to throw my hat in the ring here and I'm going to step in? and That's just going to undermine your ability to have a healthy relationship. Play, pay close attention to your internal reaction to the success of others around you. This next one is just so, so, so important in our culture. We could spend our whole time talking about this one. This is what Paul says. It's a word that we don't use very often. He says, love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor. It doesn't act disgracefully, dishonorably, indecently. Uh, Maybe a year or two ago, I saw this video of a lady who was going to run a social experiment, and she just wore black pants, a black shirt, the kind of thing that I would possibly wear, and she had a camera kind of hidden, follow her around the streets of New York for a full day, and it just recorded all of the interactions that she had with people, and everywhere she went, there was this video clip after video clip of, of guys sitting on the street corner, cat calling here, hey baby, come this way, and, and propositioning her, and like dishonoring her as she walked, men—that's the world our daughters live in. It's the world our wives live in. Never once have I had to walk through the streets of downtown Frederick and worry about being catcalled as I walk. I know that's hard to believe. I know it's really a stretch. I've never had to worry for my safety. You know what a difference that would make. If you resolve that every day of the rest of your life, you're not going to treat a woman with dishonor. You know how unique that would make you in the world that you would never dishonor another woman for the rest of your life? Do you know how much that would make you look like Jesus Christ in this world? You know, Jesus gave dignity to people publicly, even when they did not necessarily deserve it. The woman caught in adultery. She deserved to be dishonored, and yet he gave her dignity and respect. The Samaritan woman who had, it was just like on a fifth broken relationship. Jesus gave her dignity and respect. We don't use the term honor very often, but it means this. It means to treat somebody as worthy of public regard or esteem. I'm telling you, man, honor is at the heart of every satisfying Relationship And then Paul kind of does us a favor because he starts to flesh out what that honor actually looks like. He says, listen, if you want to honor the other person, here's the practical side of it. Love is not self-seeking. You just value other people over yourself, Not because they're more valuable than you. That has nothing to do with it. They're not more valuable than you are. But you live as if they are more valuable. Why? Because that's what God did with us. Here's here's the thing, guys. Listen to me. All of you know how to do this. This is not hard. Imagine you could have a dinner or a lunch with some famous person, politician, actor, recording artist. How would you behave? How would you prepare for meeting with them? Would you show up early or would you show up late? You would show up really early because you want to honor them. That's what honor looks like. You don't need any lessons. You would show up early. And you, you know, if like all of a sudden you're, Taylor Swift shows up late, you're not like, come on, I've got better things to do. Where have you been? You'd be like, oh, I'm just so honored that you could spend this time here with me. It's okay. And thanks for doing this here. That's what it looks like to defer. That's what it looks like to honor somebody. Now, can I just give some dangerous advice here to maybe some of those people who are thinking about dating, you're maybe in the middle of dating, some of our students here. If you're with somebody who's consistently dishonoring you, break up with them. Break up with them right now, like today. If they're shacking up with you but they're not willing to put a ring on it, it's because they're protecting their escape clause in order to find something better, and that's not honor. That's not honoring. That's dishonoring you. If every time you're in public, they cut you down, they make you look foolish, get out of that relationship. I never advise engaging in conflict over text, but you have my permission on this one. Just text them now and say, hey, I don't think this is going to work out. If you're in a relationship where you're consistently and constantly put down and dishonored, you better pay attention to that if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to the conclusion that I am a dishonorable person. And once you conclude that you're a dishonorable person, you're going to begin to, to behave dishonorably, which just completes the whole cycle. Jesus' New Testament, New Covenant command, love each other as I have loved you. Paul steps into this fine print with us. This is how you become the person you're looking for is looking for. This is is how, if you're married, you continue to be the person worth staying for. This is how you become the person you're looking for is ultimately looking for. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jennifer and I have been married for 22 years. That's not the good news. I mean, that is good news. That's not the good news. But in this thing that God created, this covenant relationship between one man and one woman and the covenant of marriage, it will make you a better person. It will make you a better person because when I was dating her, I was on my best behavior. And listen, any of us can do that. But when I'm locked in and I'm not going anywhere, and now all of a sudden, I'm confronted with the rawest version of my terrible self, and all of a sudden, all of those muscles of patience and honor and selflessness Actually, I have to gain some strength and stamina. I actually become a better person. And if you marry well and, and you focus not on finding the right person, but you focus on becoming the right person. If you're not like, I got to find the that person that's going to complete me because it's never going to happen. I have to become the right person. All of a sudden, you're going to face your selfishness at a deeper level. And you become a better You. Through all of that. That's why following Jesus doesn't just make life better. It makes you better at life. Now here's the cool thing. If you're married. Eventually you get it all perfected. And you've shaken all the selflessness out of yourself. And then you have children. And then you realize just how depraved you really are. It starts all over again. Like I want my, I want my kids to win relationships. I want our students to win relationally. When I stepped into a marriage relationship, I was frustrated because there wasn't teaching, there wasn't examples of how do I do this. I want to talk about it as a family because it matters. It matters deeply. I want you to win relationally. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. What you do now, between now and when that person comes along, between now and then, how you treat people matters, and how you date people matters. Between how you, how you treat people that you're close to, all of this matters. It's all preparation. Whether you're using this time to prepare, or you're thinking, you know what, I'm just going to find the right person, the perfect person is going to come along. It's all going to be fine when I find the right person. It's a myth. It's just not true. And here's the promise, and kind of what we're going to pick up on and work on for the rest of the series. There's this promise that when we press into God's blueprint for what marriage looks like, when we press into God's blueprint for what it really means to love somebody, not just rainbows and sunshine, but what it really means to love somebody, that's probably the single greatest transformational force in your life to help you become the best version of yourself, the version of yourself that Jesus wants you to be. So make sure you come back next week because we're going to continue the conversation in part three of You Don't Complete Me. Let me pray for you. God, to deny self is one of the hardest things that we could possibly do, that I could possibly do. We, each of us, are just geared for self, and yet Jesus shows us a pathway that is better, a pathway that leads us to more satisfying relationships. God, would you help each of us, whatever phase of this relationship journey we might be on, whether it's romantic, whether it's platonic, what that may look like, God, to be patient with one another, to honor each other, to have that kind of kindness. There are going to be opportunities today to adapt to someone else's pace. God, would you empower me and would you empower us? Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.